Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Right, 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 right. Here we go, here we go. Hello, everybody. Settling in for another recording of Homo Sapiens. How are you all? Beaming to you from sunny Los Angeles, where the sun is shining, the birds are singing, there's lovely lilac all over the trees. I hear it's been rather warm in the UK. For those of our UK listeners, what I love is while I'm here, all I talk to people in the UK about is the weather. I have to keep myself very much abreast of what's going on. I hear it was lovely at the beginning of the week. Look out your windows. Tell me. Write to me. Or wherever you are in the world, tell me what your weather's like. I could devour weather. There is no limit to my weather discussion ability. I should probably pop that on my CV, shouldn't I? All's well over here. Daddy's getting quite a lot of sleep. Uh, what I will tell you, if you ever become a new parent, or if you are a parent yourself to those listening, is if you have a newborn child, whatever you get out of the bed in, you need to change into what you want to wear for the day in that moment. I.e., if you want to wear socks today, put them on as you get out of bed, because the moment you pick up the baby, you will never have time to put anything else on. So you will end up walking around spending the entire day dressed in what you left the bed in, which, if you left the bed in a pair of boxer shorts, can be a little tricky. That's my little top tip. We're having a lovely time in our little bubble. Not a bubble like a COVID bubble, as in we're just in a little love bubble. Uh, and it's heaven on earth. And William is a bloody great dad. Not that I'm competing, but he's probably a better dad than me. No, he's just, it's wonderful to see your other half blossom and do something brilliantly, whatever that is. It could be cricket. Uh, neither of us are any good at cricket, by the way. What else have I got to do? Oh, well. I've got myself into what I would call a situation. So here in Los Angeles is something called the Rose Bowl Flea Market. The Rose Bowl is a large venue where apparently they do sport, but that's not of interest to me. What is of interest to me is they do an ginormous flea market. I always remember I used to write the word ginormous in my essays when I was a kid and the teachers always used to say it's either enormous or gigantic, Christopher. There is no word ginormous. Well, I'm still using it, so sorry, teach. Anyway, this thing is in all true American style in the way their cars are massive, their food is massive, everything's massive. This is the biggest flea market you've ever been to in your life. I love a flea market. I love a bargain. So obviously I hot-footed it down there on Sundays, the second Sunday of every month. 
And it's quite a sort of groovy place. I saw that actor from the twins, they're twins, and they were in, uh, one of them's gay. I can't remember their names. Thanks. Brilliant celebrity spotting, Chris. Anyway, I saw one of them. They were there buying some junk, just like me. I was strolling through with my husband, who agreed to come with me, which is not his normal way. He hates a flea market. He agreed to come with me, which is very sweet. And we were walking, and he still had a sense of humour at this point. And there I saw, as the stools parted, I saw a lamp. This lamp is a beautiful ceramic, sort of mottled brown. Sounds worse than it is. It's beautiful. Lovely lamp. Walked over, even took it upon myself to haggle, which is not normally my thing. Normally I pay the difference to not have the conversation. But on this day, I took it upon myself to haggle. So I got this lamp for a very good price, I will tell you. The only issue is it's quite large. It's probably a metre high. But that's why I liked it, because it's unusual. You can't get big things in the UK, and this was a big thing. Was I thinking through how I would get it home? No, I was lovestruck. I said, that's tomorrow's problem. Today, I want this lamp, because I want a big lamp. I've always wanted one. This is the perfect one at the perfect price. I'm having it. So I put it in the car, and we drive home. And I and see, when I left Australia, I shipped my things, but I shipped it on this thing called Freight or something like that. And it's really slow, but it's really cheap. So they, like, they'll take weeks because they put it on a ship that happens to be going past England type thing. And I think I shipped everything home for like $100, a great price for when it's like loads of money to do it any other way. So... I thought I would do similar here. So I took myself off to the FedEx office in West Hollywood, skipped in, got to the front of the queue and said, hello, I'd like to ship this lamp of mine, my beloved lamp, who I've now, feels like another arm, another limb. Uh, I'd love to ship it back to the UK. Can you help? And the nice lady behind the counter started tapping in all my details about where it was going from and she weighed it. Whoops. And she measured it. Oops. And she said, that'll be $1,200. $1,200. So after I'd spat my iced latte out all over the counter, I said, I'm not going to be doing that. And I said, is there anywhere cheap I can get it posted? And she said, we're at the FedEx counter. She said, yes, at FedEx. And I was like, mm, come on, play ball with me here. I said, anywhere else that would do it? And she said, DHL? I said, interesting. She's like, but it's pretty big. I said, well, I'm going to have to take my business to DHL. So that's what I've got to do. But apparently it's going to cost roughly the same. I need a way to get this lamp back. And it needs to happen for between 4 and $7, not 1200 So I've got a situation because now it's in a huge box in the hallway here. And I've got to leave America soon. And I need it to come with me. Not quite sure what to do, if I'm perfectly honest. That needs solving. If everyone, anyone has any bright ideas, or in fact would like to perhaps take a lamp off my hands, um, please do let me know, because I want that lamp. Now, what are we doing today on Homo Sapiens? Well, I want to say happy agender pride to all our agender 
listeners, it's Agenda Pride Day today. And good little articles about being agender, actually. Teen Vogue, um, we'll put them in the episode description. Um, great article about what it means to be agender and them as well. I love that website, them. Really good article about agender stuff. So really interesting to, to read up. But basically, agender, as I understand it, is <clears throat> I was reading here on Tinternet because I didn't want to get it wrong. To be a gender means to not identify as any particular gender. A gender is also called gender blank, gender free, genderless, gender void, non gendered, ungendered, or null gender. The agender identity falls under the non binary umbrella and sometimes the transgender umbrella. So if you are agender and you are listening or you are exploring that side of yourself, please write in. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to know more about your own personal experiences. Um, but happy pride to all those who do identify as agender. Um, today on the show, we have got none other than Fat Tony. Now, Fat Tony is a very famous DJ who does like Madonna's parties, David and Victoria Beckham's parties. He's friends with them all, best friends with Kate Moss, is in a DJ duo with Kate Moss. Tony is very, very funny. He creates lots of memes, actually shares lots of memes on Instagram, I I would say. He's very funny. He's very, very, very interesting person who's actually lived a, a really crazy life and has written a book, and it's called I Don't Take Requests. So he has swung by HS Towers to normally talk about the book, but we sort of talk about everything and anything, as is the way here on Homo Sapiens. And it's a great interview. So cannot wait for you to hear that. That's coming up in a bit. We've got some bits and bobs to do before that. Have you caught up with our latest episodes? Raymond Smith, lots of you sent nice messages about that. Douglas Stewart, and Alice Oseman because our heart stopper special. You all loved it. And Mr. Moore says, what a wonderful Homo sapiens episode, the heart stopper one. I like so many have become obsessed with heart stopper. For me, it really took me back to what life was like growing up in high school. Reminded me of the importance of strong allies, great teachers and supportive parents. So true. I really wish that show had been around when I was growing up in the 90s. It's so many people have written that to me. It's so funny. It's just thank you for writing that in. It's just, we all are just like, oh, where was this when we were growing up? Would have saved me a lot of heartache. And then we've got uh, another message here. Hi, lovely Chris. Just had to reach out after hearing the Alice Oseman episode to relay my support in her viewpoint that the LGBTQIA plus school experience is very mixed and often misrepresented today. I started secondary as a child in 2000, and although Section 28 was supposedly over, all the staff at the school had taught through it, and fear and misinformation was rife. I was taught by one teacher that gay sex was illegal, and by another that the legal age of consent was 21. The rhetoric implied that coming out was not something you did at school. Really interesting. Since going back to the same school as a teacher years later, I found largely the same staff with the same viewpoints. Wow. I came out to my bosses who were bemused that this would ever need mentioning, but was told that I could either be out or I could support queer kids, but I couldn't do both for fear of them having to deal with grooming accusations from parents. (sighs) Whoa. Some schools are doing it so well, others are still playing out the Section 28 legacy. So kindly ask your school, what is your homophobic bullying policy? What is your trans inclusion policy? How have you met the need for trans students in bathrooms, changing areas and mental health? And how regularly do you signpost support for queer or questioning kids? How does your recruitment process encourage LGBTQIA plus staff? How do you allow trans staff to be addressed in the school? How do you advocate for the child if a parent does not wish to support the LGBTQIA child? And what is support in place for LGBTQIA plus staff? 
what a great list. Thank you for that. And thank you for writing in and going back to that same school and representing. Please write to us. We love hearing from you. It's hello at homosapienspodcast.com. Instagram is at homosapiens. And leave us a review. And you can win a t-shirt. Uh, go to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. Now, we've got a lovely agony uncle that I out outsourced would be the wrong word sorry listeners i mean crowdsourced because i'm not work shy but i thought this is something you've got to ask listeners because that's what this person asked for in their agony uncle letter which is anonymous so here's the agony uncle question i'm a new zealander and i have been living in london for the past four and a half years haven't been back home for two plus years now thanks covid during the last two years i've been coming to terms with my sexuality and came out as gay to my housemates towards the end of last year However, nobody back home knows and it feels like I'm living a lie. I will go home to New Zealand for a holiday at the end of this year. I've put off telling family and friends back in New Zealand as it seems slightly insincere and awkward doing it by video call. Any advice? Have any of the listeners had to come out to close family or friends remotely or distanced before? Or would it be better to just wait until I'm home? But bearing in mind that I'll be staying with my parents while I'm at home for a fair bit as well. But then at the same time, I want to be proud of who I am and who I go out with. Oh, interesting. So interesting. Thank you so much for writing this in. So what I did is I threw it out to the Homo sapiens family. The advice of people who've really done this stuff. And it's such a good question. Here are the crowdsourced Homo sapiens family answers. Paul said to us, I had to come out a few times to friends and extended family via WhatsApp. It honestly gave me the autonomy to write and communicate exactly what I wanted to do without worrying about the other person's comments, nonverbal communications or judgments. Paul, I love that you've picked up on nonverbal communications because I spend my life tuned into them. It also gave them time to formulate what they wanted to say or to research how to be more supportive. I'm a firm believer that people's first response isn't always their best. Love that, Paul. So I much preferred WhatsApp even if watching typing appears on the screen as they replied was absolutely agonizing. Thanks, Paul. What great advice. I completely agree. I actually think sometimes, sometimes with things, if it really stresses you out, I'm, I do think you should do things face to face on the whole. I'm not talking about coming out, sorry, when you're addressing things with people. But with something as big as this, I think actually just landing the information with somebody, allowing them, like Paul's saying, to develop how they want to respond, like maybe their first reaction won't be great and can actually set you off on a bad footing. Uh, great use of WhatsApp there. Really interesting. Svenja got in touch. I realised that I am bisexual during the pandemic and given that I'm originally from Germany, it wasn't easy to figure out how to tell this to my family and friends back home. In the end, I told my friends during our Christmas Zoom call. That was quite easy and everyone was very supportive. Brilliant. Svenja, love to hear it. With my parents, I waited until I actually got to visit in person, which was 18 months later. But it kind of was a little anticlimactic because I don't think they have any conception of bisexuality. So they seem to believe that it's just some weird idea. And I think actually, unless I actually bring a girlfriend home, they would just continue to think I'm straight. Well, Svenja, sorry to hear that they don't think it's real. It's a very common thing, but we see you. Very, very interesting. Thank you for that, Svenja. Chris then got in touch. I actually have ended up coming out to nearly all of my family members virtually over the phone as a result of being able to see them less frequently throughout the lockdown, but also felt like I was living two lives with my friends knowing and family not. I found coming out virtually a little relief. I had had opportunities to do it face to face before the pandemic, but the pandemic 
and the distance and restrictions gave an added ex- added excuse. I added quite a few D's into that just there. Added, 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 added. It was actually quite nice to hang up the phone and it'd be over, to be honest. I love that, actually. Like, protecting your own energy and that stuff. Love it. Um, Sophie said, I feel I can relate to your listeners. I was living abroad as I fully came to terms with my sexuality. Being distanced from my close circle meant I didn't really open up to anyone for about a year after I came out to myself. Zoom chats just always felt too clunky, but I did eventually come out to two separate friends over Zoom when it organically came up when asked about romance dating, and that felt right. Interesting, really interesting, Sophie. Since then, it's got easier, and I've either just blurted it out, which has most often been a weight off my chest, or I've just kept it quiet. My rule is if I'm super unsure, then no pressure. I guess my take is that coming out is a delicate journey. It takes courage each time. Absolutely, Sophie. And if I was to throw my hat into the ring, listening to you all there and to think about it, you know, this listener who's written in who wanted to remain anonymous, you have written in because, you know, you're saying that you feel like you want to be proud of who you are, which you absolutely must be, but it feels slightly sincere and awkward doing it by video call. Well, the thing that we have to address here is that COVID is the thing that has caused all of this. COVID changed a ton of things and we had to sort of get on with a ton of things that it changed. So we socialized on Zoom, but you would never have done that in normal circumstances. We, you know, did meetings on Zoom, but we would never have done that in normal circumstances. So I think what you don't want to find is create a sort of a pressure on yourself to create a perfect circumstance for this coming out when the reality is Loads of things have moved on to Zoom and it's fine. And it is a little bit more awkward doing all of the above, socialising everything. But that's how it is because of a pandemic that you can't control and you want to move on with your life by the sounds of things. That's what it feels like to me. So it's not like you could have just popped round to your parents, but you chose to do it on Zoom. I think you have to differentiate between that. You couldn't, you can't. So you are forced to use Zoom. And while it may not be a perfect circumstance, what is also to be calibrated or put into that equation in your head is that then you can move on because it feels like it is slightly slowing you up so if you feel safe to come out which is what we always say you know only come out if it feels safe because it's not always but it sounds like it might be for you You, only you can decide that bit I don't want to give you bum advice if you know what I mean Uh, I would be pro zoom because the reason you're doing it is not because you could pop round. You're doing it because it's a global pandemic. So I am team Zoom. Personally, uh, would you please write in? I really let us know if this has been helpful. Let us know how you get on. Please, 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 I beg you for an update. We would love to know. Me and the whole Homo sapiens family are here to support you and shower you with love, whatever the outcome. So let us know. Thank you to everyone for writing in with your support there. That is so lovely. We should do more of this. I love a crowdsourced answer. Wonderful people you all are. Now, let's have a chat with Fat Tony. You're going to laugh. You're going to be gobsmacked, as they say. Tony has lived a life. Such funny stories. Have a listen and have a look at his book. I don't take requests. Tony is wonderful. And follow him on Instagram. I say that about everyone at the moment. Well, you know, we'll, we'll be on TikTok soon. Should Homo sapiens have a TikTok? That's a question. Please just write in, say yay or nay. Here's the interview with lovely, fat Tony. I've read your book and it's fucking amazing. Oh, so. thank you. You know, it's, I, I'm still struggling with um, the acceptance around it, about that people are actually going to like it. Having a book come out with everything in it like i mean everything in it yes uh, i'm kind of a little bit 
I've been recording the audiobook, and every night I've been coming home and waking up at 2 a.m., freaking out, thinking, why am I saying this stuff? It's funny you say that about the audiobook thing, actually, because a lot of people who we've spoken to on this podcast talking about their memoirs, mm. who, you know, are really honest, have actually said it's always the audiobook when it hits home. Because you have to say it out loud rather than just having contact between your brain and the page. And it's all it's quite silent, isn't it, in a way? I, I thought, why the fuck did I agree to do this? You know, like, <laughs> I'm dyslexic. I have ADHD. Yeah. So to try and just to focus on reading from an iPad was the <laughs> worst fucking experience of my life, let alone reading my own trauma and my own story. Yeah. And then going back and doing it again because I didn't put enough compassion in or... I, I mean, what the fuck is a full stop? I've never, known, I've never used a full stop in my life. Do you know what I mean? It's all been my, from the day I can speak until now, it's been one sentence. Do you know what I mean? There's been no punctuation whatsoever. The occasional breath. Do you know what I mean? That's the occasional it. Yeah, like, breath, that's it. And then off I go again. But yeah, no, it, it, it really was traumatic. And they played some of it back to me the other day when I went in and like, just like where I start, uh, there's, you know, the abuse chapter. I started yes. to read it and I was like, no, I don't want to do this. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I can't do this. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't want to read this. Can we get someone else to read this, please? And they were like, you know, and I said, you know what? Actually, I can do this. It's my book. It's really important. And they left mm. all of that stuff in. Wow. That's yeah, so- they've left it in because they think it's really important that they see that the, the, how real it is. You know, and then mm. yesterday I th- finished it. And the last line of the book, it just makes me cry. Just the four words mm-hmm. just make me cry, even thinking about it. And I did it. And I started crying at the end. I was like, oh, no. Oh. I was like, I can't believe. Can we do it again? And they were like, no. I was like, okay, fine. You know they're keeping it. Yeah, of course. Which is, you know, that's all right to keep it in. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because it kind of just cements what the book's about. But I'm really glad that you like it. I really like it. And I think that, you know, listen, um, I've followed you for ages. and I come for the memes, stay for the activism (laughs) is, you know, I I really loved that over the years, you've, you've often done incredible stuff for a lot of activism for people around, you know, HIV and, you know, recovery and all of that. And I have always loved that about you, let's say, and there, there could be a section of society who know you as like this person who's fun and does parties. And to see that you had written this book that showed, every facet of you mm. and the amazing stuff you've done as well because I imagine from publishers they're like oh can we have three Naomi stories two Kate Moss stories yeah. four dot 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 you, you know, know with Hodder they believed in it and they didn't want that Kate stuff they wanted the Tony stuff they wanted the real just my story mm. it, and I think that's what's going to be so magical about this book is the fact that it's not what people think it's going to be a lot of people mm. think it's going to be like a real gossipy me and Kate, me and Dene, me and, you know, and it's not, it's not at all. It's far from it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it really is. You're you're just aggressively honest about everything. Mm. And I think that's amazing. And I think that's what everyone will be able to connect to because we've all got shit. I hope so. I was interested to hear about you as a kid and you were sort of, I don't know, it would be maybe Obliff simplifying it, but you were sort of trouble from day one, mm, right? 100%, always. From the minute I was I came into this earth breach, ask first. <laughs> and my mum always said it. My mum always said, you came into the world, ask first, and you stayed ask first ever since. And, and it kind of, <laughs> you know, 
my mum fell down the stairs and had me a month early. Uh, and that really? kind of, yeah, literally, I was meant to be born on Christmas Day. And uh, she had me a, a month to the day that I was meant to be born and premature, like a month early. And my mum just said, from the minute she met me, I've just caused so much havoc in her life. But, you know, it had a lot to do with the people around me, the way I was. You know, I, 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 I struggled for attention. I had an older brother that was always in trouble with the police. So for me to even get a voice or to be heard, I had to scream or smash mm. something or, you know, literally just set fire to something just to get the attention that I deserved. Well, I thought I deserved, yeah. You were so inventive, though, because I loved the story about <laughs> you used to announce what you wanted for your birthday yeah, yeah, six yeah. months before your birthday because <laughs> <laughs> so your mum could pay it off in increments yeah. so you knew you'd get it yeah totally so I, I would put this piece of paper on my bedroom door with the list of what I wanted for my birthday and if I wasn't get, getting it don't talk to me again or don't get me anything and then I would change it about four or five days before knowing for well that they'd already got it because I would have checked that it had arrived you know uh, off the catalogue or wherever she'd got it from uh, and then I would change what I wanted so that I would get double presents. <laughs> and I caused such, <laughs> such a stir about it. I'd be like, if you've got me, if you've got me roller skates, you can take them back because I don't want them. What I want now is a recorder. I want a tape recorder. And if I don't get it, I'm not going to have anything to do with any of you. And I'm going to ruin Christmas because it's a month before Christmas. <laughs> so, um, right. yeah, that's kind of how it always worked. Always worked. And it worked. It always worked. I got double. You always got two presents. Yeah. So, but I'm always done a countdown for my birthday. I don't know what it is. It's like a learned behaviour because I've done it yeah. since I was at school, and I still do it now. Sometimes I've, the last few years I've not been. I've not done it, but I I would put like on Facebook. Oh, only fifty six days to my birthday. I mean, what the fuck? You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> seriously. Well, look, we're not far away now, are we? March. So, what's what's on your mind? <laughs> what's on your mind this year? You know, we can start uh, a just giving page. So my boyfriend goes goes on about it all the time. He's like, you know, you have your birthday, then it's Christmas, then you have your clean time birthday. It's like three months of fucking Tony birthdays. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why not? Surely. it's March, so everyone's in there saving up for Tony's birthday period. What do you want this year? What do I want this year? I just want to be happy, man. That's all I want. I definitely oh. don't want a birthday party this year. They don't bring me happiness. <laughs> really? Well, they do, but they don't. They just bring anxiety. Do you know what mm. I mean? I, the, the last year just gone was probably the first year I had a birthday party without the anxiety of, oh, my God, why have I done? You know, I, I love the build-up, and then on the day, I, I, I'm like, oh, God, I don't want this. Do you know what I mean? Yes. What is that? It's anticipation yeah i think so and i I, and i also i just you know it's it's you know what it is it's like buying drugs waiting for the dealer to (laughs) arrive for three months and when it arrives it's really shit drugs (laughs) that's what it's like is get it you like do the first line you're like this is shit (laughs) that's what it's like (laughs) a birthday that's exactly what it's like but they say for you're waiting for the dealer for three months instead of like an hour or three hours you know what i mean you said something when you were talking about the birthday presents. Um, there was something else you were talking about with your family and stuff about attention. That was yeah. it. And and I I can't remember if this was your words or whether I thought it. But by t- switching your present at the last minute, you were kind of testing to see how much they loved you. Yeah, right? 
of course. It was all everything I've ever done in my life is about testing for love in one way or another. Really? Yeah, of course. Because I've never ever, as even from a young kid, been able to accept that I'm loved. There's something in me, and I, I, I really do think it's to do with the addict side of my of my behaviors and my and my personality. That if one person loves me, it's not enough. But if more than mm-hmm. one person loved me, it's too much. And I don't know how to deal with it. And I've always struggled with intimacy. So I will overcompensate in other areas. So I don't have to let people see that I'm that scared child or that I mm. really am. So I will make out that, I, you know, I will be the loudest person in the room so you can't get close to me. And I think with, when it came to my family, as I say, because my brother was always in trouble and it was always about him. And then when my little brother came along, it was always about him. So, mm. you know, it was never about me. Do you know what I mean? In mm. my head, I didn't get enough attention. I got so much fucking attention. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I've, I've been doing trauma therapy for like the last three years. And during that time, you know, I basically had, we discovered that I had Munchausen's from the age of three. What's Munchausen's again? So where you basically make up illnesses for attention. Oh, yes, I remember. Because yes. mm. I went into hospital at a really young age with a collapsed lung. And from that day, everything changed. I mm. learned that if I was ill, I got loved. I learned that if I was ill, I got the attention that I seemed. Mm. So I was always ill. If, even if I went out on my skateboard, I would fall off and crack <laughs> my head open. I, you know, I literally was always ill. There was always something wrong with me. Because it was basically a, a golden ticket to attention. It's drama. You know that. We, we, we thrive for it. We actually love it. And I kind of think, you know, there was never any question of me being not being an addict, even at that age, because I was addicted to attention. I've always been addicted to drama. Always. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. obviously you've been very open outside of the book about Mm. um, addiction and that you've gone through in your life and where does that desire for attention meet addiction is it that drugs fill the void left by the lack of attention would you say i think it's got it's more to do that 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 drugs try to fix that hole the more Mm -hmm. you know i I took drugs to change the way i felt because Mm. i always felt less than you know i 
went through, through these different stages of what I went through as a child, I my brothers coming and taking the attention. Then there was, I seeked attention. So I got attention in the wrong areas. I ended up getting negative attention. Mm-hmm. And then from that negative attention, I suddenly then became fat to ward off that attention. And I got mm-hmm. more attention from being fat and being called names. So basically, you know, I, I and you know, with, when it comes to addiction, I don't have a stop button. So if I go into flow with anything, whether it be bitching or whether mm. it be, you know, humor or whatever, and I'm getting that attention, I will fucking thrive off that. And I will, I'm like a fucking mm. a, 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 a speed tra- like a speeding train towards mm. drama and attention. So they 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 really are a part of each other. Do you mm. know what I mean? Because yes. you know, at the beginning and in the middle, but at the end, it's the opposite because. Uh, at the end, it's like uh, the last thing I wanted was attention. I was hiding. I didn't want to be seen. And for someone who's a DJ, not mm. to want to be seen is it, it, kind of really, 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 really difficult. But it, is there also something in not wanting to be seen? Because DJing, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because you're you're at the party, yeah. but you're also controlling the party. Mm. And so you kind of, you sort of are there, but you're also kind of not there. You've got something to hide behind. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a wall between me and them. Yeah. Know, the so for me, it gave me a purpose to actually be there because I hated being in nightclubs mm. towards the end. They were a ways and means of me to get more money for, to, to pay for my habit and to mm. pay for my addiction. So they were a way and a, a way and means of me to get more. So I had to go through that to get what I wanted. It was no, it was never, you know, towards the end, it was just literally was, okay, I didn't even look at a dance floor for four years. I literally just looked down, went, did what I had to do, got the money and fucked up. And it wasn't until I got sober that I actually really reconnected with that energy. Because I, you know, my, my, part of my job is to thrive off of energy. It's mm. not to play music, it's to, to read a crowd and to read the energy of a crowd. That's what a DJ does. Mm-hmm. someone who put you know people who come along and they say oh, i'm a dj now and they start choosing 20 of the of the, the biggest hits and play them back like one in a certain order are not djs they're selectors there's a difference my job is to to read the energy in a room mm. and when you're an addict and you think you can read the energy of the room you read the wrong energy of the room <laughs> you, you know what i mean kind of that because you're so out of it. Yeah, of course. Tell me a bit about the the early days of Soho. You know, Soho was such a magical place because it was literally seven streets, a little square, and that was it. That was the West End of London. Mm. You came to the West End, it was bright lights, there were nightclubs, there were all-night cafes. There were all night drinking clubs. It was all so illegal. <laughs> yeah. And anything illegal, as we all know, to a child or someone who's 14, 15, 16, is the most exciting thing in the world. So you take yourself into that environment, into Soho. And and in those days, you know, we didn't have social media as I as I talk about quite a lot. That was our social media. Mm-hmm. You know, we went there, we met, being sociable and meeting people. Um and you knew kind of, it wasn't long before you knew everyone. And, mm. but, you know, Soho, it just changed so dramatically all the time. It just was forever evolving. 
you know, like whether it be one after hours club and then another after hours club would open and then another one would open and that one would be more dodgy than that one and that would be more exciting than that one. Yes. Someone got stabbed at this one like two nights ago. We'd all go to the one that someone got stabbed at because it sounded really exciting. That was the West End of London, you know. Um, and, you know, we went there for one reason. You went there for the music. You went there mm-hmm. to have fun. The experience wasn't like, oh, you went out to take drugs or you went out to do that. That came much later. Mm. I loved the bit about you were out waiting outside heaven and you were, you were almost too scared to go in. I was petrified. We all did that. You know, we all used to like, I remember my friend, he used to, he had a car and I didn't. And he used to drive up into town and drive down Brewer Street and all yeah. around, just to going past like places yeah. just to yeah. see that it was, you know. Yeah, it's kind um, of like that testing the water type thing. Yeah. I worked in a shop in the King's Road and I told my parents I was going away with the scouts that weekend. This is how fucking young I was. Uh, and I was, I was meant to go with the scouts and I had a Saturday job. And I remember it was two doors along from Fiorucci in King's Road. And I went into Fiorucci that day and bought this white, brilliant white T-shirt with two angel wings and two cherubs on it, the same Fiorucci. Oh, Love it. In like a, a bubble raised print. It was insane. I lo- absolutely loved it. And I remember standing outside. It was freezing fucking cold in a T-shirt. <laughs> and I remember just standing against the wall from about 9.30 onwards until about 2 a.m. People were like yeah. talking to me. The two old queens that worked in the little cafe, there used to be a cafe there at the time next yes. to heaven. They were like chatting me up and I was like, yeah, so I'm waiting for my friend. Now I'm waiting for my friend. And people were going, why are you waiting here? And I was like, I'm just waiting for my friend. And I just, and literally the security, when, when Freddie and all of these mates came along and they were like, oh, I like your t-shirt. And I was like, oh, thanks. And they're like, why are you waiting here? And I was like, I'm waiting for a friend. The security went, no, he ain't. He's been there all night. And I was like, I was like, you no, I am actually. <laughs> and then they, that's when they invited me. And I kind of just, that gave me that courage to actually go in there. Mm. I think if I didn't go in there that night, right, my life would have gone down a, a totally different route. And that's a fact. Really? Well, it, you know, just the minute I walked into that venue was just like that Charlie and the Chocolate Factory experience of like, wow, what the fuck? You know, mm. it was it was heaven at its peak, an incredible experience. Mm. For a young gay boy to go into that environment where you could be who you wanted to be without mm. anyone saying any different. You know, everyone was there for the same reason. And it was just, it was incredible. It really was. And also, the, the Freddie you're talking about is Freddie Mercury, right? Yeah. But you didn't even know who he was when no, you moved in. I didn't even recognise him. You know, I wasn't really a Queen fan. You know, I was into yeah. like Mark Holmans. I was into like, you know, I, it was on the talent and new romanticism. You know, mm. so all the new romantic stuff. I was kind of all into that, really, Depeche Mode and shit. And yes. Queen was kind of like something my mum and dad listened to. Do you know what mm, I mean? Mm, and mm. I, I kind of just didn't recognise him, didn't know. And it wasn't until one of them had said, oh, you know, he's in that band Queen. I was like, oh, right. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, like it. <laughs> and how old were you then? I was actually 15 at that point in time, yeah. It's so funny because I was sort of charting through your life 
and I'm like, just naturally had assumed by the amount that it happened, you must be 24. And then, then you're like, oh, and I'm 18. And I'm like, hang on, what the fuck? Yeah, 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 literally. This is- I, I started going out clubbing when I was, four, like, literally 14 and a half. I first went to the embassy club when I was 14. I used wow. to tell people I was 18. I always, mm. I lied about my, I lied about everything. But I lied <laughs> about my age right up until I got to 50. And then when I got to 50, I kind of just embraced it. I was like, you know what? I'm fucking 50. And, I, yes. and I'm really proud to be 50. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, so much happened so young because that was London. You know, you, that was, we, as I say, we didn't have something in our hands that occupied us. We had to go out and find that that mm. fun. We couldn't sit and like be like flicking for a fucking phone in our hands. Yes. We had to find our people. We had to go out and find that fun. There's a kind of dual thing. Like if you're lucky enough to live near London in those days, you could go into town mm-hmm. and you could get your way into places where there were other people like you. Yeah. Um, whereas that seems to have kind of disappeared a little bit. But now if you don't live in big cities, you can now find it on Instagram. Literally it is Instagram. And I do love that. I think that is so magic for people mm. to age 11, see someone that they think they might be like, rather than that sort of totally, seven, seven years of pretending. Yeah. I kind of just think, you know, the fact that social media, you know, for all its sports is, is such a wonderful thing because it, it just opens up the world to everybody. Mm. That if, you, if you're looking for hope, you can find hope on Instagram. If you're looking for despair, it's fucking there as well. But, you know, yes. whatever you're looking for, it's there. You know, in my fucking day growing up, all I had to look 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 for the answers in was encyclopedias that my, my mum and dad had bought off someone on the doorstep. Do you get what I mean? That, there was no, <laughs> the like, Britannia, handbook. Do you remember the Britannia, yes. the Britannia encyclopedia? They used to knock on your door, them. didn't yes, they? Yes, that's right, yes. And, oh and we were very God. proud of them on our bookshelf. I remember ripping pages out of them just to annoy my dad. But, um, really? Yeah, of course. Uh, but, you know, it, that's kind of what, how it is. But, you know, with Instagram and TikTok and all of these other apps, and there'd be plenty of other ones to replace them as well coming along, are a wondrous thing. They're, they're, they're incredible if they're used right, like anything. That's the end of part one. Please stay tuned for part two, where we've got more Tony, more stories, more brilliance, more fun. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Powered by Spirit Studios.